Good morning. How is everybody? I used my stool for my Bible. All right, it's going to share space. Anybody else flustered this morning? <laughs> Distracted? Um, I realized <clears throat> this week as I was preparing that we've yet to discuss the similarities between Acts and Star Wars. <laughs> and I intend to remedy that this morning. Um, what? Yeah. Oh, yeah, I know. Everybody's helping with the kids this morning. They'd really appreciate that, and they're not here, so they'll have to listen online. But we haven't talked about these similarities yet, but there are similarities between the book of Acts and Star Wars, and I will be careful not to t carry this analogy too far, because there's a point where this analogy breaks down, and I recognize that. But if you have seen Star Wars, and I think that applies to most of us here this morning, if you haven't, I'm going to give some things away, but come on, it's been 40 years. <clears throat> so, spoiler alert, I guess. Okay. There's a scene at the end of Star Wars where the rebels are attacking the Death Star. And they're flying in something very much like this, which I borrowed from Luke. I'll put it into attack position so that you can see. They're flying in something like this. They're attacking the Death Star, which happens to have one weakness, which happens to be located on the outside of the Death Star. And they're being attacked by something like this. The TIE fighters are attacking them. They have one chance, really, to destroy the Death Star before the Death Star destroys all of them. And if you remember, there's kind of a line. One of the commanders keeps saying to the men as they fly through this channel after the target, they're all flying in there together, they're under attack, and the, the commander keeps saying something to them over and over and over again. What is it? Anyone know? Stay on target. Right. Stay on target. And then the guys in the ship saying, I can't, there's too many of them. Stay on target. There's no room. And then, kaboom, they die. <clears throat> That's not the part that, that applies necessarily. <laughs> Although it does a little bit. I'm going to talk about that a little bit later. What he keeps saying to them over and over, stay on target, stay on target, stay on target. Because it's a critical mission. Because if they don't do this, it's all over, right? Because they may die during the course of the mission, but if they don't, if the mission isn't successful, they all die. So it doesn't really matter if they die, it matters that they stay on target. And as you know, one of them does, one of them makes it, they save the day, they have this great victory and they celebrate together. Well, how does this apply to the book of Acts? Okay, we're going to talk about a significant portion of Acts this morning. We're actually going to go through four major sections of Acts this morning. And we look at those four distinct sections. We're looking for something that would tie them all together. What is the common thread in these specific sections of Acts as we walk through them? And what we would say is that the the main thread, the consistent thing that is pulled through all of them is this idea of stay on target. Because as I talk with you during the week, and even the week that I've had coming in here this morning, the truth is it's easy to get distracted. We are going to come under attack as people who follow Christ. As a group of people who say we're committed to the mission of Christ, we are going to come under attack. Things are going to happen. Things are going to get in the way. Those things are going to come from outside, and those things are going to come from within our own family, and they're going to distract us from the mission. And so what 
Scripture would say what we're going to see in the early church is the mantra, that phrase, stay on target, stay on target, stay on target. If you recall, just briefly, let me catch you up with where we are in the book of Acts. You can turn there now, but let me just catch you up a little bit where we've been. We're kind of continuing through this series. Evan brought us through most of chapter 4 last week, so we're going to start in chapter 4. We're going to go into chapter 5 today. But you remember that we've summarized the book of Acts by saying that what we're going to see throughout the book of Acts is the story of a group of ordinary people equipped with this irresistible message doing extraordinary things through the power of the Holy Spirit. If we had to summarize the whole book, that's what we would say you're going to see if you were to read the book of Acts. And if you recall, after Jesus' resurrection, he spent some time with his followers teaching them and telling them about the kingdom of God. It says it right at the beginning, chapter 1, verse 3, it says he's teaching them about the kingdom of God, and he's telling them about the kingdom of God. And then what we saw in the last couple weeks is the kingdom of God breaking through in a significant way. The first miracle that we see in the book of Acts is the healing of this man who has been lame from birth, so for 40 years he's been unable to walk. And then when Peter and John meet him outside the temple, they heal him, and now he's running around and praising God and drawing attention to himself. He's drawing a lot of good attention to himself because he's praising God and he's with the apostles and he's telling everybody what's happened and that he was healed in the name of Jesus. He's also attracting a lot of attention from the religious leaders who are not as excited about this. And so as we saw last week, they call Peter and John before them and they question them. And they say, what have you done? And by whose name have you done this? And I don't know if you remember, but they essentially say, well, we've done it in the name of Jesus. You guys, you know Jesus, right? Jesus, the guy, you know, the creator of life. Jesus, the son of God. Jesus, the one you crucified. Jesus, the one you killed. Um, That Jesus. You remember him? That's who we've done this in the name of. And, Peter adds, there is salvation in no one else. So he kind of turns his answer into a sermon, and he directs it at them and says, Jesus, whom you killed, there is salvation in no one else, and that's who we have healed this man in the name of that Jesus. And Evan so clearly pointed out last week that we're so quick to ask the question, why did God only make one way, that we neglect to praise God for making a way, that we forget that we are so broken and disconnected from God and out of relationship with Him that in our culture now, we get so frustrated by the fact that there's only one way and it seems so exclusive. When the truth is we're so desperate, we should be so happy that there is a way that God has made a way. And how was it that the Jewish leaders at the time responded to Peter and John in this moment? Well, first they were amazed. It says they were amazed because they were common, uneducated men. It's like, who are these guys? And how are they possibly speaking to us like this? Remember, they're just ordinary people. Common, uneducated men, but they're speaking with incredible boldness about Jesus Christ about his death and resurrection. And there's this awkward situation where the man that they healed is standing right there. 
And it says they, they have nothing to say. What can they say? Here's a guy everybody knows that everybody recognizes, and he, the, the evidence is literally standing right in front of them. So what can they say? They say the only thing that they can say, like, hey, don't talk about this anymore. In fact, they charge them. They say, we don't want you to speak or teach in the name of Jesus again. It's about all that they can do. And how do Peter and John respond? Do you remember? Like, well, you can tell us whether it's better for us to obey God or you, but we're gonna, we have to talk about what we have seen and heard. We have no choice. We must. And so that kind of brings us up to where we are. This morning we're in Acts chapter 4, starting in verse 23. And we've got a lot of scripture to get through this morning, but you're going to see this story continue, but you're also going to see this thread pulled through, this idea of staying on target. Before we <clears throat> open the word this morning, I would just ask if you would pray with me before we read God's word. Father, I just pray this morning that you would speak to us through your word. Lord, I pray that you would open our hearts to what you have for us to hear this morning. We just, we thank you for the, for the story of the book of Acts. We thank you for these followers of you and for their example. We thank you that you are an amazing God that does amazing things and that ordinary people can do extraordinary things because you are an extraordinary God. So we pray this morning as we read your word, Lord, that it would sink deeply into our hearts that we would hear from you this morning, and we thank you for giving us a place to come and worship you. In your name we pray, amen. <clears throat> so Acts chapter 4, verse 23, I want you to pay particular attention as we read this morning. We're going to see a pattern unfold. You're going to see attack, an attack against the church. You're going to see their response, and then we're going to get a summary of what has happened. And then you're going to see an attack against the church. You're going to see their response, and you're going to get a summary of what happened. So that's the pattern we're going to see. The first attack we've already seen. The first attack has come from the outside. It's come from the religious leaders who have said, do not speak, do not teach in the name of Jesus again. Now, Peter and John give a very bold response to that. But we have to remember that Peter and John are people too. And that, that just because they were bold doesn't mean it was easy. This is not an idle threat that has been leveled against them. They're talking to the very people who crucified Jesus. So this is not an empty threat that has come against them. They're, literally, their lives are at stake. And so just remember that as we read. We're starting in verse 23. We're going to get kind of the first section here. Acts chapter 4, verse 23. When they were released... They went to their friends and reported what the chief priests and the elders had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said. So their response is to pray. They leave the chief priests, they come to their friends, to the believers and say, we, this is what happened, we need to pray. And they said, Sovereign Lord, who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them, who through the mouth of our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against his anointed. For truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, 
along with the Gentiles and the peoples of Israel, to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness while you stretch out your hand to heal and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. So, let's just capture what's happened here. They come directly from this encounter. They come together with the believers and they say, we have to pray. And what do they pray? The first thing that they say is, God, you're God. You are the sovereign Lord. You are the creator of everything and everything in it. And you're the one that spoke through the prophets. You're the one that spoke through David. They quote um, Psalm 2. That's a good homework assignment, by the way, to read Psalm 2. It's really short. It's, um, it's 12 verses. They kind of quote the nice part, which is saying, God, why do people align themselves against you? You, almighty God, why is it that people continually align themselves against you? They kind of um, skip over the part of the break them with a rod and dash them to pieces part that comes at the end of Psalm 2. But they look back on the sovereignty of God. They look back to Scripture. It's the cry of their heart. They say, God, all of these things that happened, even the things that happened with Jesus, happened because of you. You allowed them to happen. It's all part of your plan. We trust in your sovereignty and we rest in that. And then they make a request of God. And what do they request of him? They don't ask for revenge. They don't ask for protection. They don't say, God, would you smite the religious establishment and grind them to dust because they're keeping us from proclaiming your message? What do they ask for? They ask for boldness to proclaim the message anyway. They don't say, God, protect us. They say, God, fill us with your spirit and make us bold so that we can proclaim you anyway, so that we can proclaim your name in spite of the difficulty, in spite of the attack. And then what do they do? Then they say, and God, stretch out your hand. Oh, here it comes. Here comes the smiting part. No, what do they say? God, stretch out your hand and continue to heal and do signs and wonders in the name of your son, Jesus. Their concern is for the work of God to continue. Their concern is that the ministry of Jesus would continue through them. Despite the attack, despite the pressure, despite the discouragement, that they say, God, continue to do what you're doing. They acknowledge that God is sovereign. They acknowledge that they cannot be courageous and bold. They say, God, fill us with your spirit so we can be bold. So God's doing the work again. And then they say, God, continue to do the work of healing and of signs and wonders in the name of Jesus. So God, you do that work too. So God's doing everything. And all they're doing really is acknowledging that and say, God, we want to be used by you. Would you use us and give us boldness? And look how God answers verse 31. He says, and when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Verse 31 is God saying amen to their prayer. That's how I read that. So they pray these things and God shakes the building and he fills them with the Holy Spirit and they continue to do exactly what he, they asked for. God says, you want to be bold? I'll make you bold. You want to know I'm here? Here I am. I just Can you imagine if, if we prayed and the building shook? Wow. That would be, that's like terrifying and amazing like exciting and a little scary all at once. 
God says, I'm here, and amen to that prayer. I will do that. And we see the work continue. So the summary passage comes next. So we see the attack, we, we see the response of the church, and then we see Luke kind of giving us a summary of what happens next, starting in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul, and no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. We've seen this before. Luke has actually summarized the life of the church like this in another passage previously. Verse 33, and with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was upon them all. There was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet, and it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who was also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. Let's just walk through this summary really quickly and see what it is that Luke is pointing out. We see, as we have seen before, here's a group of people that are living in genuine community together. It says, everybody considered that nothing was their own. Not, we've said this before. It's not that everyone sold everything and they all lived off of one pile of money but that they all took all of their money and all of their possessions and they held them like this. They said, God, what I have is yours. You can use whatever you want. And so when I see somebody in need, I'm willing to give from what I have. And it says nobody was in need. They're giving sacrificially. They're giving selflessly. They're giving generously to the church, to their family, to the work of the ministry. Verse 33 it says, with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of Jesus. So they're living in community together. They're sharing the gospel together. The apostles are telling people what they have seen. They're sharing the gospel. They're telling them about Jesus. That's their mission. They're meeting each other's needs. And then verse 36 and 37, it tells kind of a specific, gives a specific example of Barnabas who sells a piece of land and brings the money and gives it to the apostles. This is, this is really doing two things. One, it's showing us a picture of what it looks like to live in this type of community. It's a specific example of this kind of sacrificial giving, this generous, selfless, God, what I have is yours mentality. The second thing it's doing is setting up what Luke is going to start to tell us about in chapter 5. So it's a picture of this type of community, but it's also a setup to the contrast of what we're going to see when we look at chapter 5. So <clears throat> we've talked about what it looks like to be attacked from outside the church, the religious establishment that has kind of leveled this charge against the apostles to not share the gospel, to not share the name of Jesus anymore. Well, what does it look like when the church is attacked from the inside? Chapter 5 starts with this, but a man named Ananias. But means in contrast to what I just told you about. So here's the story of the church and what it looks like to be a part of the life of the church. And here's what Barnabas did. But Ananias, so we can guess this is going to be a little different, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. 
But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? You have not lied to man, but to God. And you thought the, the place shaking after the prayer was scary. Watch this. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. That's Bible for he's dead. (laughs) And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. Wow. So, it's important to remember that Luke is, is summarizing what has happened in the early church. So there are parts of this conversation that we're not privy to, but we can assume... We can infer from what we hear, not only in this, but what we're going to read next in the conversation with his wife, that this is how this went down. Ananias and Sapphira, they sell a piece of property, and it says they conspired together to keep some of it for themselves. Is that the problem? Is the problem that they didn't give all the money to the church? And God says, it's all or nothing, and if you don't give me everything, you will die. That's not the lesson here. What we can infer from the conversation is they kept part of it for themselves and then they came to Peter and says, and they say, here's all the money we got from selling the property and we want it to be used for the church. The problem is not the amount of money they brought. The problem is the heart behind the way they brought it. What was the big deal about Barnabas' gift? Was it how much he brought? Was God like, wow, I really needed that. I was running out of money. (laughs) No, God has all the resources he needs. The heart behind the gift of Barnabas, was that it was for the glory of God. What is Ananias' gift for? It is for the glory of Ananias. This is about me getting recognition for giving a bunch of money to the work of the church. And Peter, with obviously some discernment for the Lord, says, Ananias, why are you doing this? You're not lying to me, you're lying to God. Why would you do this? Clearly, this is an act of judgment against Ananias, and God sees this as a distraction, as a a problem for his early church, and he's not going to stand for it, certainly not this early in the church. And then it says, great fear came upon all who heard of it. You think? (laughs) I mean, this is really significant. This is God saying, I will not allow someone to take glory that is rightfully mine. This is about the work. This is the continuation of the ministry of Jesus. And the church and the people of the church are not going to steal glory from God. And God puts an end to it. I have to ask just as an aside, it doesn't really tell us, but I can't help but wonder what Peter is thinking in this encounter. Clearly, he gets some insight from the Lord to even call Ananias on the sin in the first place. He says, Ananias, why are you doing this? But he, he doesn't declare judgment on him. He just says, you're not lying to me, you're lying to God. And then Ananias just falls over dead. And I have to wonder if, if even Peter and the apostles are standing there going, oh man, this is, this is really God takes this very seriously, and I think that's the point. 
of God saying, I take the work of my church very seriously. I take the mission of my church very seriously. And whether you're outside of the church or inside of the church, you'd better stay on target. I told you I'd bring it back to Star Wars eventually. The mission of the church, the ministry of Jesus, the making of disciples is what they are about. And God says, I'm not going to let you get in the way of the work that I will do. This story continues in verse 7. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in, not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, tell me whether you sold the land for so much. This is how we know, by the way, that Ananias said, hey, this is how much we sold the property for. Because Peter, not knowing if they have conspired together to do this or not, we know because the Bible said it earlier, Peter doesn't know. So he's testing. He's asking a diagnostic question. Are you in on this or not? Is this how much you sold the property for? And she said, yes, for so much. And now Peter has an idea of what this means and what will happen. Because he says, verse 9, but Peter said to her, how is it that you have agreed together to test the spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door and they will carry you out. Immediately, she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Now listen to verse 11, because it's phrased a little bit differently. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. So when Ananias died, it says, great fear came upon all who heard of these things. When Sapphira dies, it says, great fear came upon the whole church and all who heard about these things. Everybody is a little bit shaken up by what has just happened. There's a sobering reality here that God takes his work very seriously, that God takes his glory very seriously. This is not a game. And we've talked about this before here, that we don't come here to play church. This is not a game. God is not a joke. And his work is serious work. And he's saying to the early church, I'm going to build my church and I need you to stay with me. I need you to stay on target. I need you to be focused on the mission. And I'm going to keep you from being distracted from things that will tear you apart, whether that's from the outside or from the inside. And so the response of the church is significant for us to see how they respond. So let's look. Here's the second summary passage we'll see this morning starting in verse 12. It says, now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. That's a direct answer to prayer, by the way. You remember they asked, God, would you continue to do your healing work? Would you continue to do signs and wonders in the name of Jesus? It's a direct answer to prayer. And they were all together in Solomon's portico. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. <laughs> there is some significant fear about what has gone on here. But then listen to this, verse 14, and more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. Do you remember, we've talked about sermons that Peter's given where 3,000 people or 2,000 people come to the Lord. Now significant attack has come against God's church from outside and from inside. And here's the summary. It says more than ever, people are coming to the Lord. God's work, the work of Jesus is continuing. Verse 15, so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats 
that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on them, on some of them. Verse 16, the people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. God is continuing his miraculous work, his work through the apostles and through their ministry. Despite attack, despite discouragement, more than ever, people are being added to the kingdom. He says, stay on target in the midst of distraction, in the midst of attack, in the midst of frustration, in the midst of persecution. God will accomplish his mission. As Jesus says in Matthew 16, he's saying this to Peter. He says, I will build my church and the gates of hell will not stand against it. He will do his work. He will do his work. He, didn't, he doesn't need us to do it. He doesn't need Peter and John, but he will use them to do his work. He didn't need Ananias and Sapphira or their money, apparently. And when they allowed Satan a foothold into their heart, he put an end to it because he's not going to allow Satan to stand against the work that he is working to accomplish. God doesn't need us, but we need him. And he invites us to be a part of the work that he's doing. And what he asks us to do is to stay on target. <clears throat> and what the believers in the early church say is, Lord, we will proclaim you no matter what the cost is. We realize this is a legitimate threat that is being leveled against us, and we will proclaim your name no matter the cost. When they're faced from an attack from the outside, that's their response. When they're faced from attack from within, Peter confronts the sin and God does the work of ending it so that his church will continue on. I think what we see in the early church, in the apostles who are leading these believers, is a group of people who will pursue the glory of God and the continuation of the ministry of Jesus no matter what. They will do it no matter what the cost is. Now, we referenced Star Wars at the beginning, and we've talked about this idea of staying on target. And I said the, the real problem here with the analogy is that that guy that he's talking to in the movie blows up, <laughs> right? He keeps saying, I can't, I can't, and he says, stay on target, stay on target, and then he dies. Okay, that's significant. That's a significant point, but here's what I would say. What happens if he just leaves? What happens if he doesn't die for the cause? What happens if none of them die for the cause? Then everybody dies. Then everything is lost. We have to be willing to pay the price for the mission that God is calling us to. Now, I'm not saying God is calling you to die for the mission. I'm saying God is asking you to stay on target. God is asking you to pursue his mission, and he's asking you to pursue his mission no matter what the cost is. And here's what that might look like for us. I mean, what is it that we're really saying I guess what I'm saying, and most of you in this room know it because many of you in this room are living it right now, that when you pursue the work of Christ, when you pursue his ministry, when you really empty yourself to run after him and give yourself for him, then attack is going to come. Attack is going to come, discouragement is going to come, frustration is going to come, and it's going to come from the outside and it's going to come from the inside. It's going to come from outside the church, it's going to come from within our own church the attack will come. The question is, how will we respond when the attack comes? Will we respond like the early church did? Will we submit ourselves to a sovereign God and say, God, you're God. 
please continue to do your work and fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we would be bold enough to come with you, to participate, to be a part of what you're doing. Give us the boldness to proclaim your gospel, the boldness to share you, even when it's scary. I heard this quote from a member of the 101st Airborne that was asked to define courage, and he said, courage isn't, isn't the absence of fear. Courage is the presence of fear and the decision to go anyway. It's being afraid and doing it anyway. That's courage. That's the type of boldness that we're talking about that we see in the apostles in the early church. Or we can be more like the early church leaders who have the truth of the gospel and the power of Jesus literally standing in front of them and ignore it. Or we can be, we can respond like the early church and we can live in genuine community and we can hold our possessions and our things and our time loosely and say, God, use me however you want to use me. I want to be used by you for your kingdom, for, the, for your glory. Or I can be like Ananias and Sapphira and I can become more concerned about me and how people view me than I am about how they view God. And that might be how I think people outside the church view me in my shame of proclaiming him. That might be how I think you view me in just trying to glorify myself and look at all the stuff I'm doing and look at all the money I gave and look at and look at and look at me. And God says, no, no, no. My people don't steal my glory. This is for the mission of God. And so we stay on target. And here's the question. I'll end with this kind of question. Will you stay on target? If you're under attack, will you stay on target? If you're not under attack, you will be. You will be if you're pursuing the mission of God. And so will you stay on mission? And when the attack comes, which way will you lean? Will you lean into God? And will you say, God, fill me with your spirit. God, you do the work. God, you're the one that does this. God, give me strength. God, make me bold. God, help me to follow you. Let me stay on target. Or will we lean away from God when we say, you know what, God, this is really hard. I'm going to do my own thing. Because what you're asking me to do is just way too much. Some of us this morning, we're distracted from the mission. We have allowed Satan a foothold in our life like Ananias and Sapphira. And we are bailing out on the mission of God. And I would just say, repent. Turn to him. Say, Lord, I'm leaning away from you. I need to lean into you. I just need to have faith that you're God and that you're bigger than whatever it is that I'm facing right now, because he is. Some of you are on target. You are on target. You are living it. You are on mission. And the attack is either coming or you're in it. And you're getting tired. And other people aren't coming with you. And you're worn out. And you're like, God, I'm done. I am just out of gas. Are you going to lean into God? Say, God, fill me up. You're going to do the work. It's not up to me. This isn't about working harder. This is about where do I lean? I lean on God. Say, God, it's your work. I just want to be a part of it. Or am I going to lean away from him and pursue my own glory instead of his? Some of you cannot believe that we're still talking about Star Wars. <laughs> you're like, I don't even know what you're talking about. I don't even, have, I don't even know Jesus. I don't, I don't have a relationship with him. 
I'm not even sure what that means, and you're just wondering when it's going to be over, and I'll just, it's soon. It's very soon. <laughs> but let me just say this. We're, we are here today because of the mission. We are here today because we have been rescued. Those of us who know Jesus, who trust in him, we have been rescued as part of God's ongoing rescue mission. And God has used people to draw us to himself, and he, has used, he wants to use people and the church to draw people to himself, and we have an opportunity to be that kind of church that points people to him. That's the kind of church we want to be. And if you're here this morning and you don't know him, then I would just say you have an opportunity to be rescued. That God has made a way that in our broken relationship with him, as Evan so clearly pointed out, we need to not argue over whether we agree with the way that God has made, we need to celebrate the fact that God has made a way to re reconcile us to himself. That God said, I loved you so much that I sent my son to die in your place so that you and I can be in relationship with each other and you can be with me and you can be on my mission and you can be part of something that is bigger than you can possibly imagine. And so I would just say, if you're here this morning and that's you, we would love to tell you about that. We would love to share Jesus with you. And the purpose of this place and this church and this family is to give people a glimpse, a taste of what it looks like to be on mission, to be on target with him. We are a group of ordinary people. We're just regular people, all of us. We serve an unbelievable God who has given us an amazing message, the good news of Scripture. And God wants to do amazing things. And the question is, will we be a part of it? Are we going to just lean on God and say, God, I want to be on target, I want to be on mission, or are we going to just walk away and say, it's too hard? I'm going to call the ushers this morning to take our offering and to grab your connection cards. If you need us to pray for you, if you're in a place where you're hurting, you're off target, or you're under attack and you just need some prayer, we would love for you to write that on there. If you don't have time to do that now, it's fine. You can just turn it in over at the table when you're done. Keep it. We're going to take our offering and our connection cards, and I just want to reiterate for you that our offering is just a response of worship to God, to just say, God, what I have is yours. My life, my time, my resources, they're yours. If you're visiting us, with us here today, I just say, if you could put a connection card in there and let us know you were here, that's all we would ask of you. We have an opportunity to respond now in worship to the Word of God, so would you let me pray for us? Father God, we're so grateful to you, and we thank you for inviting us on your mission. It's significant and it's important, and so we thank you. We pray that you would receive these offerings from us as an act of worship, and we pray that we would respond to your Word now with praise for you. In your name we pray, amen. Amen.